Thank you for your word that it's alive, it's active, and that you love your church, you love this church, and that you are advancing your mission, God, so I pray that you give us eyes to see where you're going, and courage to follow where you're going, and I pray that um, you would transform us um, deeply as a community today, in Jesus' name, amen. So I, I like stories or movies, and if you, if you know me, I like stories or movies that have really great endings. And I'm defining what a great ending is. A great ending is when everyone's happy. A great ending is like when you celebrate and clap, and you're like, yes, uh, I struggle with stories or movies that end bleak or that end with no resolve. Like I didn't like the Joker movie because I was like, man, this, this makes me feel down. It makes me feel like we didn't, there's nothing redemptive to look forward to in my opinion. And um, there's some of these stories in Acts that, that, that kind of feel that way. Where I'm reading the story of, of Stephen. And oftentimes what we do while we either dislike or like a story is because we can identify with the character. And when I look at this character, Stephen, I like so many things about him, but except the way that the story ends. The story ends, and the way it ends, is it's, it's difficult for me because I see someone who does everything right and dies a horrible death. And I preferred stories that end in victory. And so what we can see so far in the book of Acts is um, there's been these arrests. Um, Peter and, and John, they get, a, they get arrested and... Um, the jail, the angel gets them out of jail, or they get out of jail, and they come back to their church, and everyone celebrates. I'm like, yes, I like those endings. Like, I can identify with that character. I, I prefer not the jail piece, but God, if you're going to break me out, like, okay, maybe. And I, I like those stories way better because I can see, like, the redemption happening in the here and now. But this story of Stephen is challenging. And so I want to follow Jesus. And I'm sure while you're here that you want to follow Jesus. I just want everything to go as planned. And I want things to go as planned the way that I see endings happening. Does that make sense? I want them to go as planned. I want things to go really well for me. And I want them to end really well for me on a high note. And this story feels like it's not a high note to end on. What we've been discovering here in the book of Acts is that um, God is advancing his mission. And what we find about how he advances his mission is that it's no longer our will, but his will be done. And when God advances his mission, no longer is it our will be done, but is that it will experience opposition. That opposition will come against the advancement of God's church. And here in this story, the opposition has just turned up the heat on the church. And I always want to remind us, on Acts 1-8, before Jesus ascends, he tells his disciples that they will be his witnesses. That the Holy Spirit will come and that they will be his witnesses. That means that... They will have an opportunity in this life, in their life, to testify about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And the more that we embody the life of Jesus, the more we understand what it was like for what Jesus experienced on his time on earth. 
Jesus experienced favor with humans. He experienced favor with men and women who were experiencing the kingdom. And on the other hand, he was experiencing the gates of hell coming against him. This is, this is a, a motif that we experience in our lives. We proclaim the gospel, people receive it, and we experience favor and the goodness of God with people. And on the other hand, we have this, these forces that are opposed to this kingdom breaking forth in our city. And so we get to the story of Stephen and the experience of Stephen in this passage is, it goes all the way back to chapter six where he was, it says that Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Justin killed it last week in his sermon on, on selection of the seven and we find out that, they, that Stephen was selected because he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit to serve um, the Hellenistic widows of the church. And then chapter 8, chapter 6, verses 8 through 9, it says this, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And pay attention to these two words, opposition arose. I'm not even going to read the rest of the passage. I want you to hear those two words, opposition arose. Stephen is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He's, he's serving his church by helping out with food distribution to the widows. And not only is he doing that, God is using him in the square. God is using him in the city to bless people, to see people healed, to see people restored. And in the midst of that, opposition arose. He's declaring a kingdom of peace, and he's met by the hostility of the world and the religious leaders. And if you play basketball, basically there's a full court press and they're trapping him in the corner. Okay, no one watches basketball, okay. Um, <laughs> they're throwing everything at Stephen in this moment. And now, the, see previously the opposition was coming purely from the religious leaders. Now in this passage we have the members of the synagogues that are coming after Stephen and accusing him of a couple things right here. They're accusing him of disrespecting the law of Moses and the temple. And so they're, they're opposing him. They're trying to gather other people against him. And they're trying, and it says that Stephen was arguing with them. They had a heated debate. And it says that they could not refute his claims about Jesus or beat him in a debate. Acts 6.10 says this, they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. Who's ever lost an argument to somebody? How you feel after that, right? It's okay. Um, <laughs> sometimes you gotta take the L. Um, they, they lose this argument to Stephen and they're angry. They begin to spread rumors. It says that he stirred up the people and the teachers and the elders because what they need to do, they need to turn the tides. They need to turn the tides against this movement that is spreading its word and its message throughout the whole city. So they need to get people on their side. And so what, the, so what do they do? They, they say, Stephen has committed blasphemy against God. Acts 6, 13 through 14, it says this, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. 
They conspire against Stephen. They get some people to tell these lies. They conspire against him. They say that he is disrespecting Moses. He's disrespecting the temple. And so they arrest him. They bring him in front of the religious ruling party. And I want you to understand how big these accusations are. One commentator says this. They push Stephen's words and actions into the most damaging narrative that one can have as a Jew. He walks a path that denies the power of Moses, the lawgiver, and would destroy both the efficacy of our faithful obedience to God and the majesty and the centrality of the temple. In other words, the things that we're built on, the temple which represents God's presence and his Shekinah amongst the people of God and Moses who brought down Torah from Sinai and who's taught us how to live. These two things in foundational building blocks, this person is trying to usurp and undermine with his teachings. You guys with me? So they devise a well-orchestrated attack that views... Stephen as treasonous and unpatriotic. And those things are worthy of of death. They saw him as a dangerous person. And so with these charges and them bringing him in front of the Sanhedrin, in a sense, they've already reached their verdict. They've already reached their verdict and ruling before Stephen even gets to respond, before Stephen even gets to go on trial. And it says in in this moment that they brought him, they brought these charges in front of the ruling party. It says that they looked intently at his face. And And the passage says that his face shone like an angel. Now, commentators, they, they differ on, on what that means. And, and one interpretation is that this is an indictment on the accusations that Stephen was disrespecting Moses. Because if you remember Moses, after he came down from bringing the law, that they couldn't even look on his face and they had to wear a veil to cover the glory of God. And in this moment, they are saying that this guy disrespected Moses, but God's presence is shining on them right in their faces and they're still rejecting him. What is agreed upon with commentators is that God is undeniably with Stephen in this moment. And I just, I just want to say this to us. Even when we are in the midst of hell, we will not go through it alone. Regardless of what comes your way, regardless of where you might find yourself right now, I just want to let you know that you do not go through it alone, that God is with you. So God is with Stephen in this moment. His face is shining like an angel, and they're asking them, they ask him these questions. Are these charges true? What's your defense? And Stephen tells a story they all know, but are missing a key point that the whole story points to Jesus. And he goes on. We, we can't go through all 51 verses of it. That's why we kind of fast forward to the end. This is kind of what we're doing today is we read a passage that shows you what happens at the end. And I'm bringing you up to that point right now rather rapidly. So for 51 verses, Stephen gives his defense. And he knows. Here's what he knows. These are his final words. 
Jesus says in, in Luke 12, when they bring you before the synagogue, the rulers and authorities do not worry about how you are to defend yourselves or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. God teaches us as we go. He said the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour. I think what God is teaching us through the scriptures is that as we go, the Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us the courage in the moment to, to, to declare and witness. And that is not by power or by might, but it's by His Spirit. And when the question I have for us is where lies your dependence? Where lies your confidence? What have you really built your hope on? One commentator says this about martyrdom. He says, those who knew the Jewish martyr tradition might think of opportunities interrogators sometimes gave prospective martyrs to save themselves by denying their faith. Opportunities the martyrs used instead to reaffirm their commitments. Stephen, with everything on the line, reaffirms his commitment to the way of Jesus. He reaffirms his commitment to being a witness for Jesus, though he knows what it's going to cost him in this moment, in literal minutes from now. Stephen goes through and he gives them the history of the people of God. He reminds this council of four um, heroes of the faith. He reminds them of Abraham. Abraham who never owned any land. Abraham who left everything on a promise. He reminds them of Joseph who was exiled in Egypt and had his promises fulfilled through trials. Moses who wandered in the wilderness who was a rejected leader. He reminds them of David who planned to build God a temple and God told him no. One commentator says this, gradually, Stephen's point becomes clear. God isn't restricted to any place or building. He is a pilgrim God who lives with his people wherever they are. The temple is a meeting place for God and humans, but now it is replaced by Jesus the Messiah. He gives them their whole history. And he's saying, God has never been restricted to time or place, but now you want to restrict God to time or place, and you're missing God right here in your presence, Jesus in the flesh. And in his, not even defense, in this story that Stephen is telling, what he's doing is he's turning the tables back on them. He gives this long summary by putting them on trial. He says, you are actually resisting God. You have actually blasphemed God by kill and God's temple by killing Jesus. See, when they bring Stephen before the court and, and they're carrying their own, uh, their own presumed innocence, they're, they're saying, you're guilty of this, we are not. And they're bringing him forward for death and he's flipping it on them and saying, actually, you're the guilty party. 
He tells them, like their ancestors, their hearts have actually not changed. You are the guilty ones. Acts 7, 51 through 53, he says this, you stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, have you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. These are scathing words from Stephen to the religious leaders. He's saying God has been trying to show you his goodness throughout human history, but you've committed yourself to beliefs and behaviors that God has left behind. So here's their response in verse 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They were furious. They were, as we say, cut to the quick. They were angry. They were hostile. They couldn't believe that he'd point his fingers at them as the guilty party. They had been holding the line of holiness in their own eyes, and they gnashed their teeth at him. This was the final straw. They want to kill him. And as they're getting ready to kill him, Stephen gets a vision from Jesus. He says in verse 57, 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They're getting ready to kill him. Jesus gives him a vision of, of, of heaven. And Stephen relays that to all around. He says, Jesus is here. He's, he's king of kings. I see him. He sits at the right hand of heaven. Can't you see it? Jesus is calling. This is, this is a, you still have an opportunity to change the hardness of your hearts. Verse 57, it says, at this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. I know this is a serious moment, but this is like little kids, right? No, I don't want to hear it. No, 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 it's not true. Like they're covering their ears and yelling. Get that imagery. No, God is in Jesus and Jesus is in God. He's at the right hand of the Father. I see him right now. He's doing things. He's resurrected. His kingdom's coming. Join him. And they're like, no, we do not want to hear this. There's, this is an intentional rejection of Jesus. My question is, in, in what ways might we be closing our ears with the distractions and other things and blocking out the invitation of Jesus to us? Stephen, Stephen's dying. And the beautiful thing about this passage is he is so fixed on Jesus. He's so fixed on Jesus in the moment of his, of his darkest hour. He's so fixed on Jesus in the worst moment of his life. He's fixed on Jesus in the moment of persecution. He's fixed on Jesus and while the whole community is against him, he's fixed on Jesus. 
And while he's fixed on Jesus, it allows him to be a conduit to demonstrate the love of God in the midst of trials. Like there's often times where I experience trials and I want to lash out against the person and get my eyes off Jesus and then I don't demonstrate the love of God when I do that. And he, in his worst, what would probably be my worst moment as a human being, he pours out his best until his last breath. These are his last words. This is his last moment. I would have been like, someone, tell my kid this. Do this. Like, how could you do this? Someone, step in. No. It says that he prays. He prays. Verse 59, while, while, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do not hold this sin against them. In other words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. See, this, this seems like a horrible ending, but we've seen an ending like this before, which is actually the beginning. This is the upside down nature of the kingdom that Jesus through death brings life. That when Jesus breathed his last, he demonstrated the love of God. He said, Father, forgive them. Many of us walk in this place and go, there's no way God can forgive me. Jesus' word, Stephen's word, in the midst of being killed unjustly, say, Father, forgive them. We have a Father who forgives regardless of what you've done and even the extent in which you've done it. Jesus breathed his last and he said, Father, forgive them. And it said that the guards that were nearby said, this truly is the Son of God. See, what we see happening in the book of Acts is a movement of God that is catapulted and made alive through death. Jesus told us that we would be tried, persecuted, even put to death, but that death would not have the final word, that he would transform death into something beautiful. Amen? All right. In a sense... God turns the table on death. God turns the table on bad endings into victory. And it's the primary way in which he advances his kingdom. If you get anything from today, hear this. God uses persecution, hardship, opposition, not only to form us, but to accelerate and advance the gospel. I, listen, I know you're not like, ooh, I'm excited about that. Bring on persecution, bring on the opposition, bring on the trials. I know that, like, that, that doesn't like, make your hair stand on your shoulders. But I want to let you know that God, can, God will use the hard things in our lives to transform us. God will use the hard things in our lives to meet us in ways that we didn't expect, to meet us in ways that we can trust Him beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we can be and reflect and be the people of Jesus. Because in Jesus' darkest moments, He bled love.
He bled an unwavering commitment to the Father and the kingdom come. And he said, this ought to be your call as well. See, Stephen's death is a turning point in the life of the church. The church moves from this phase of popularity in Jerusalem to one of persecution and scattering. So I'm not saying that this is a joy-filled experience. I'm not saying that. They mourned deeply. This was difficult. They had to move. They were unsettled. They had to separate from friends. They lost their dear friend. But also God used this moment to spread the gospel into places that they never even thought about. Verse chapter 8, 1 and 2 says, Saul approved of their killing. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Listen, there are hard things that come our way as we follow Jesus. This is a hard story. This is an unjust death. I'm sure we can think about the last year and a half. There's been hard things that have happened. There have been injustices all across our country, globally. We have lost loved ones, co-workers, family members, neighbors. This has been a hard year, and there's things that we need to mourn. And we, as a church, we will mourn, we lament. We've seen people leave our own community and move to different places. We've been through a major transition as a local community and we mourn that, we lament that. And then we, God picks us up and he says, move. And from this point, the church of Jesus began to spread like wildflower, like wildfire. <laughs> We move, here's why we move, because it's not the end. The adversary would want you to think when something like Stephen happened, this is the end, this is the crushing moment to our movement. When things happen and we lose friends or coworkers or we get assaulted for our faith, we go, that's the end. And Jesus said, no, that's not the end. That is the beginning of something beautiful that's about to break through in your world. Because when you experience opposition and trials, it's because something great's about to happen. Listen, I'm not going to guard you and impress you if you're not a threat. And this movement was a threat. And this is where they experienced the opposition that they did because the, there's forces in the world that don't want to see God's kingdom and light break through to the world. They scattered because God's presence and power are not limited to a location. The kingdom and the presence of God are within the people. It all comes back to God. This is how Stephen started his story. The glory of God appeared to Abraham. That same glory of God is showing himself to us through his son Jesus who lives in us. And if we don't harden our hearts, we can see him. And when we get a glimpse of him, we, get, we start to see our world and the things that come against us in a different light. We are no longer controlled by fear because the God of the resurrection is with us. 
Revelations 2.10 says this, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Following Jesus is not running from hardship to find life. It's often through it that he shows us himself. This is the story that Stephen is preaching. That the people of God through the whole story have gone through persecution, famine, homelessness, and even death. But that God is faithful. That God is with them. And that God, though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with them. Our call, like Stephen, is to be wrapped up in the redemptive story of God. I'll end it here. And to write says this, Why then do we call people who die for their faith martyrs? Well, at one level at least, because in being prepared to die for their faith, they are showing that they at least reckon that this faith is not just a set of ideas, not merely a nice religious glow, but the very living truth itself, worth more than one owns life. This story is an invitation that moves us from death to life. To be faithful in testing because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes God will allow you to go through hell to reveal himself to you and to the world in a whole new way. Church, this is the kind of people that Jesus, this is the kind of church that Jesus has envisioned for the world that we would be his witnesses and that what seems like an ending is actually the beginning of something great in our world. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come in this place. See your kingdom come in our lives, Lord. And we just echo the prayer that it's not my will, but yours be done. We say your will be done, Lord. Um, give us courage to follow you into the hard places. Jesus, I pray that you would, uh, you would meet everyone here that's going through something in, the, in an unmistakable, undeniable way, Father. Holy Spirit, we just, you're welcome to speak to us as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.